0: Advocates behind the Bring Chicago Home proposal they were finally able to rally following years of delays and obstacles. The initiative seeks to increase taxes on the sale of houses worth more than a million dollars to support the city's homeless population, which, depending how you count, ranges from a few thousand to nearly 66,000 people. The proposal was introduced in 2018 and supported by then candidate Lori Lightfoot, but it never came to pass during her administration. Brandon Johnson is backing the move, however, which he's calling a, quote, mansion tax. And his allies in City Hall, City Council, rather, they held a hearing on the matter just a few days ago. So we're joined now by WBEZ politics reporters Tessa Weinberg and Mariah Wolfel. Hey, Tessa. Hi, Mariah.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: So before we talk about Bring Chicago Home, I want to touch on some news that broke late yesterday, Tessa. This is about a Johnson appointee. It's come to light that Interim Police Superintendent Fred Waller was accused of domestic violence back in 1994. What else do we know about the accusation?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our colleague Dan Miyalopoulos, you know, broke the news last night that Fred Waller um, was accused of domestic violence by his then-wife in 1994. He had records requested summaries from all the internal investigations into Waller, started to get some of those back, and among those records were the allegations. Um, You know, she had initially, according to these reports, told investigators she had been struck about the face, pushed to the floor, and had alleged, you know, prior physical mistreatment. Um, Waller denied those accusations in those reports, saying they had both suffered, you know, minor injuries and disputes. And ultimately, according to, you know, Dan's reporting, she stopped cooperating with the eternal probe, according to these records, um, and that the branch that was investigating it determined that, you know, her complaint was deemed not sustained, which just meant that there wasn't enough evidence either way mm-hmm. to prove um, or disprove the allegations. So there was no, you know, finding or of guilt or innocence really on the part of anyone involved. Hmm.
0: This is pretty huge, though. I'm, I'm curious what you both think this means for the Johnson administration? You first, Tessa.
2: Yeah, well, you know, so Waller was the focus of also a a past complaint that the Sun-Times had you know, previously reported on that resulted in a rare 28-day suspension about comments he had made. Um, So this is kind of another mark on his record. And, you know, when Johnson even announced Waller as his pick for the interim superintendent, our colleague Chip Mitchell had pressed Johnson about Waller's connections to um, a corrupt sergeant whose tactical team was under investigation for more than a decade. And Johnson at that press conference at the time, you know, expressed his confidence in Waller and said that Waller is the best person to serve as interim superintendent. So I think this is just another, you know, mark that Johnson's going to have to reckon with. But at the same time, you know, he is picking from three finalists to be the next superintendent. And Waller is not among those. So, you know, we will only maybe have him, you know, in this role for a limited period of time.
0: That's right. It may soon blow over, I guess, technically. W- what are your thoughts, Mariah?
1: Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, he does have that to stand behind. Fred Waller has said repeatedly, you know, he's not pursuing this job full time. And so he's not someone who's going to lead the department, but he is leading the department through one of uh, uh, the most crucial times for violence in the city. Historically, we see spikes in violence during the summer months. So it is a really crucial time um, to have a strong, trusted, you know, leader in the department. And so That's obviously not great. And and I also think this maybe speaks to Johnson's judgment as he embarks on filling many, many positions in city government. And that's something he's going to have to answer for, you know, is how thorough are his background checks on his candidates? And and how is he weighing previous, you know, marks on people's records um, when he's choosing some of these really important positions that will start to be Filled in the coming months. Yeah,
0: I mean, you would think that 58 probes into Waller's conduct that those would be red flags for the Johnson team. No.
1: Yeah. So Dan had requested, you know, summaries for all of those cases. Has only has not gotten every single one of those back. The department provided some. Um, In nearly every case, records show the internal investigations concluded. Um, without a finding of wrongdoing against Waller, um, except for that one that Tessa mentioned that resulted in a 28-day suspension um, where Waller made some inappropriate comments referencing sexual assault in a meeting. Um, and so, you know, you'd think that those would be some things, things that Johnson weighed, and he did get criticism yeah. um, from people when, you know, kind of... Asked about that and the allegation and the stuff that Chip asked about as well. Um, but nonetheless, you know, this is, this is one, someone who Johnson says is a respected veteran among rank and file police officers and one that's going to be in the position temporarily. Um, but still, again, I think it's something that reporters will be watching too as as more hires are made under the Johnson administration.
0: Well, let's let's shift then to to bring Chicago home city council members they discussed it on Thursday. Former Mayor Lori Lightfoot as I mentioned had blocked a similar hearing from happening a few months back. So just remind us of the details of this Bring Chicago Home initiative and what exactly it aims to accomplish, Mariah
1: sure so bring chicago home is a long standing push by advocates to increase the um a, a one time tax on properties over a million dollars and use that money to fund homeless prevention. And so that could be wraparound services, that could be funding for affordable housing, um, really to just have a dedicated revenue stream to homeless prevention, which the city does not have currently. It relies on a lot of grant funding and, and what it can scrape together each year um, and, you know, departmental funding. But they advocates want a, a sustained, you know, stream of funding. And so they've called this Bring Chicago Home. There are multiple ways to pursue this. There is not an exact proposal on this yet because, like you said, even just the preliminary steps of having a hearing, just a subject matter hearing on this, has been a battle um, Mm. under the former mayor. Um, But, you know, as you said, we did get that initial step this week or last week.
0: Well, tell us more about what happened in that hearing. Last week, Tessa.
2: Yeah. So we saw, you know, this was really, I think, a moment for supporters of the campaign and advocates to finally have a, a chance to kind of voice their say and their peace and the need. You know, we heard from people who are currently experiencing homelessness, people who have in the past talking about you know, why it's so necessary to have, you know, some kind of form of dedicated funding from the city to help tackle this issue. Mm-hmm. Um We heard from alder persons who have long been advocating for this of, you know, seeing that this is finally the moment where they see the political will to make this happen. Um, You know, they they talked about it's not a matter of um if this happens anymore, but when pointing to the fact that this was a major campaign promise that Mayor Brandon Johnson campaigned on on the campaign trail for his um, run for mayor. Yeah. And he's affirmed that commitment at the hearing. We heard from um, different city agencies, um, like the Family Support Services Agency, Housing, and members of Brandon Johnson's administration, were also present, which so I then, think speaks to. His. Yeah.
0: So then, what do what do we need then? What will it take then for this additional tax to go into effect? Because it yeah. sounds like everything's lining up. Mm-hmm.
2: Right? Yeah. So last week's hearing was just a subject matter hearing, so they didn't actually have legislation they're voting on yet. Okay. And that was a big point, I think, of discussion of the city saying, you know, that they're, you know, working on determining what exactly is that tax increase going to look like. The uh, housing commissioner signaled maybe there would be you know exceptions for affordable housing or maybe it would be a smaller tax increase and the new tax rate would only apply to you know the the money from the sale that's above one million dollars and not the whole sale. Um, so some of those specifics still need to be figured out and then alder persons are really looking to they have to pass legislation and then that would get this um you know this resolution onto the ballot and it would be up to voters to decide potentially the next year of whether they want to authorize this tax increase or they can. To go through the route with the state legislature, which would be kind of its own process. So it seems like, though, mm. they're really looking to try to get this on the ballot and have a, a vote of the people next year.
0: Well, I have you speaking of City Hall, Mariah, I know budget season is also fast approaching and this will be Mayor Johnson's first budget. So, I mean, what do we know so far about his priorities, would you say?
1: Um. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you know, a mayor's first budget says a lot about what dollars they're going to put behind their priorities. We know that, um, standing up a department of environment is a big priority for Mayor Brandon Johnson. Also, uh, pursuing treatment, not trauma, which is part of that is reopening the city's shuttered mental health clinics. There's a lot of things we're going to be looking out for in this first budget because it speaks to Um, a mayor's values better than anything else can, you know, like what, what dollars are you going to be able to put behind your priorities that you've talked about for a long time? Another major thing that we'll be looking out for in the next month or so as the budget process starts to, to, starts to, um, start in earnest is, uh, whether Mayor Johnson is going to be able to pursue some of those priorities without Mm -hmm. raising property taxes as he promised so, you know, vehemently on the campaign trail. But, you know, many experts told us at the time the reality, once he gets into office, is going to be that you need to raise revenue somehow. And a lot of his ideas for raising revenue um, are much more uh, long-term. You know, they're going to require buy-in from Springfield. They're going to require lobbying and co-op collaboration with city and state lawmakers. And so in this first term specifically, um, I think it's not out of the question that he he may have to rely on a property tax increase and how he pitches that to residents who voted for him um, on the premise that he wasn't going to increase property taxes will be something we're looking out for if he does pursue that route. This is Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We
0: have been talking with WBEZ politics reporters Mariah Wolfel and Tessa Weinberg. Thank you both so
3: much. Thank you. Thank you.
0: All right, we'll turn now to WBEZ's Esther yoon Kang to discuss another story relating to the Johnson administration. Hey, Esther. Hi, Sasha. You've been talking to street vendors. This is about some of the challenges that they're facing as they're trying to run these small businesses. You know, some of them are selling corn, shaved ice, tamales and other items around the city. So give us their biggest concerns.
3: Yeah, well, street vendors have faced these concerns for many, many years. And um, one of them is get struggling to, to get licenses to be official street vendors with the city. So a lot of them carry a lot of fear of being fined, for example. And you have to remember, these are very, very small business owners. And many of them um, have been unable to get jobs at factories or mm-hmm. other places. Some of them might be undocumented. And they don't necessarily have the Resources or know how to get licensed. Most, uh, More recently, they've also faced the pandemic and inflation, and they just yeah. were not able to get the help um, from the pandemic relief funds from the government. And on top of that, Sasha, um, this past winter, there was a rash of, of robberies of street vendors, particularly in the very early morning hours and some evening hours as well. So wow. that's been on their minds as well. I'd
0: love to hear more about some of the folks that you talked with, Esther, and, and what the, the day-to-day is like for them, given a lot of what you just mentioned.
3: Yeah, so they're selling small things, right? Like elotes, tamales, uh, shaved ice. Um, and some people peddle stuff like socks or clothes, and others sell I- ice cream, paletas. They're just really kind of barely surviving, barely paying their bills. Um, and last year in the dead of winter when inflation was particularly high, one street vendor said that he might Take home $80 a day after, you know, all the costs. And mm. that's a good day. Yeah. And last week I spoke to someone else who said that, you know, he's, he's in the heat all day, um, just to get, uh, just to risk getting robbed for maybe 20, 30 bucks that he might have at the, at, in his pocket at the end of the day. They say they pay their taxes. They don't have many options for employment. Um, and, you know, the other thing I should mention is that these folks are just really a part of, the fabric of these neighborhoods. And I spoke to customers, too. Like people come from all over uh, the region to to taste and to buy from these street vendors. So it's not just about businesses. It's about like an entire uh, culture. How
0: does licensing work for them now? And what kind of changes do they want to see now that Mayor Johnson's the one in charge?
3: So the licensing requirements come in large part from the city's, um, Department of Public Health. That's the agency that oversees like food sanitation regulation and inspections. So right now to get licensed, uh, there's a fee of $100. That's good for a two year term. And there are a bunch of requirements, right? So you have to sell prepackaged items that have been prepared in a commercial kitchen. And vendors kind of say that that defeats the point, right? Like of elotes. Like you want to be able to cut up the corn. And dress it with like cheese and chili and other stuff while the customers are watching. And customers also say they don't want something that's prepackaged, they want to be able to customize. So um, the city also requires refrigeration and other like heating equipment that's approved by the Department of Health, which might be cost prohibitive for many vendors. Um, And there's just a lot of other like paperwork and, and requirements. And so Many vendors have said that they just cannot provide all of that.
0: So sum it up for us. What's the city saying right now at this point?
3: The city's Department of Business Affairs and Consumer Protection, um, which oversees businesses, says, you know, the sanitation requirements are the sanitation requirements and they come from the uh, Department of Public Health. So those are the rules. The 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 Business Affairs and Commun- uh, Consumer Protection Department also says that they've done, you know, outreach about licensing. Uh, they've created flyers in Spanish and, and have worked with a lot of business groups um, in the area to get the word out about licensing. So they're just saying that, you know, mm, okay. the the rules are the rules and they're, they've done their best to do the outreach.
0: That was WBEZ's Esther yoon Kang. Thank you so much, Esther. Sure, Sasha.